You're listening to the Fresh Hell Podcast. Fresh Hell contains stories of a disturbing and often graphic nature and is intended for a mature audience. Please don't let your kids listen to this, or they might turn out like us. Welcome to Fresh Hell, the best international podcast featuring terrible, terrible things. I'm Annie. And I'm Johanna, and we are so glad that you tuned in for another horrendous tale. Another old-timey one, that is. Oh, yes, you know I love an old-timey story, so let's dive right into it. What horror are we going to hear about today? Today, I will present to you the second part of my German Cannibals trilogy. You might remember our episode about Karl Denke, the cannibal of Zibice? Yeah, of course I remember. That was intense. <laughs> uh, if you guys haven't listened to it yet, check it out, but maybe avoid eating when you listen to it. Yes, that is definitely good advice. And in that episode, I mentioned today's story shortly. This episode will be about Fritz Hamann, and he has many nicknames. He's called the Vampire, the Butcher, the Cannibal, or the Werewolf of Hanover. And people call me Annie. <laughs> yeah, technically it's Anne. But yeah, these nicknames sound pretty bad, and this sounds like it's going to be another really fun tale. Do I even have to ask if there are any warnings? The don't eat while listening might apply to this one as well. If you have a weak stomach, maybe sit this one out. And there are also the death of children and young adults. Mm, okay, well, I am the middle of summer and I'm literally tucked in bed, snuggled under my <laughs> duvet with a hot cup of tea. I've got the air conditioning on to make this whole situation possible. And so <laughs> now I am ready for whatever tale of horror you've got for me. So, <laughs> <laughs> this case takes place in Hanover, Massachusetts. <laughs> no, the real one in Germany. Ah. <laughs> so nowadays Hanover is the capital of Lower Saxony. That's one of the 16 German states. For you to get a picture, Hanover lies around 280 kilometers or 173 miles west of Berlin. So it would take you around three hours to drive from Berlin to Hanover. Maybe faster because as we know... Germany has no speed limit on their highways. During World War I, Hanover suffered extremely due to shortage of food. In 1916, the cost of food increased 100%. That might be interesting to know in regard of our story today. Oh, that's awful. So suddenly people who are just getting by, you know, paycheck to paycheck, now these people can't eat, you know, ugh, war just ruins everything. Yeah, and after the war ended in 1918, things didn't look so much better in Hanover. People were still not receiving sufficient rations, and now they also didn't have enough living spaces for all the people in the city. In 1919, there were 1,251 homeless people. In 1921, so just two years later, 7,768. And again, two years later, in 1923, there was the unbelievable number of 28 1,727 homeless people in the city. And that's no surprise if you look at the population, where in 1916, 292,000 people were living in Hanover. In 1923, there were already 410,000. And apparently from 1919 to 1922, only 445 new apartments were built. So the city was poor, had no food and was absolutely crowded. Oh, God, that's awful. That really is just a shocking number of homeless, isn't it? Even post-war. Absolutely shocking. And the, the city, I don't know why, why they didn't take control over this, because during that time in Vienna, for example, they started to build apartment complexes for the poor people, like city-owned 
apartment buildings. They are still here today and they put it in every district of the city so you wouldn't have like ghettos, yeah. but that's uh, poorer and richer people, all of them living in the same districts, which is actually pretty good. That's good really system. smart. Yeah, no, that is a much better system than what we have here, which is, you know, we have government built blocks, but they're usually not in great areas. Yeah. Bad. So, yeah, Hanover was not good back then. And we mustn't forget one thing, uh, and that's the German inflation. It took place between 1914 and 1923. And especially after the war, when Germany had to pay reparations, the German money lost more and more value. In 1922, the value of the mark was only one thousandth of the value in 1914. In 1923, the so-called German hyperinflation took place. And in that year, one US dollar bought you 4.2 billion mark. Wow. Wow. That's, yeah, that's bad. It's just important to know that people were poor and there was not enough of anything. Mm-hmm. Although we have to say Hanover wasn't hit as hard as other cities maybe because due to its location, it was a pretty important smuggling hub and had a flourishing black market. Oh, okay. So then you've really got a perfect combination for nefarious happenings, don't you? When are we going to meet the uh, the villain of the story, so to speak? Now. <laughs> so... Friedrich Heinrich Karl Hamann, also called Fritz. He was born on 25th of October 1879 in Hanover. His father, Friedrich Hamann Sr., was a very strict and short-tempered man who preferred a very authoritarian style of education. Now, in some places, they say that the name of his father was Olli Hamann. But as far as I could see in my research, that was actually the name of his uh, grandfather. So. Uh, okay. I read that the name, the real name of the father was Friedrich Hamann Senior. The mother, Hanne, on the other hand, was very loving and she spoiled Fritz wherever she could. Fritz's parents had been married in 1868 when Hanne was 31 years old and Friedrich Senior was 24. And according to rumors, Friedrich Hamann Senior married the older Hanne only for her family's wealth and her dowry. And nevertheless, the parents stayed married until Hanne's death in 1901. Mm, poor Hanny. Anyway, if I'm doing the math correctly, and I'm almost always not, uh, <laughs> was his mother, she was in her 40s, like 42 when she had Fritz? Yes, that's right. That's unusual for back then. He wasn't her firstborn? I'm glad you asked. No, he was the youngest of six children. Okay, that makes more sense. So Fritz Hamann later on testified that his mother had a son out of wedlock who was born in 1856 or later, he couldn't tell anymore in the end. His name was Karl Claudius, and Fritz Hamann accused his own father of killing Karl Claudius. But it seems more likely that the eldest brother got drunk and drowned. Then there is Wilhelm, Minna, Henny, and Emma, and Fritz is the youngest one. Fritz Hamann did not only accuse his father of killing his half-brother, but also claimed that one of his siblings had sexually abused him in his childhood. But I have to say, other sources stated that he was molested not by one of his brothers, but by one of his teachers at school. Oh, well, I mean, that's awful either way. Yes, it is. Yeah. So from an early age, Fritz, who he was rather quiet and mostly socialized with his siblings, was known for a rather effeminate behavior, let's say. He rarely engaged in the wild play of his brothers, but he liked to dress up in his sister's clothes and he liked to play with the dolls. And he loved to spend hours doing needlework with his mom. 
the two of them, they seem to have a very close relationship. Oh, I used to babysit a kid like that. He was my favorite. His brothers and sisters were like wild animals that would just <laughs> run around tearing the house and each other apart. And all he wanted to do was like play with my hair or play dress up or put makeup on or paint our nails. That kid was the best. <laughs> they moved away. Hope they're doing well. But um, yeah, it's absolutely awful if Fritz is being sexually abused. Do we think that really happened? I honestly don't know. It's possible, but Fritz also seemed to make quite a few things up during his interrogations. Yeah, and was his dad, um, I mean, punishment at the time would be, have been very, very different from punishment today. Yeah. So do we think his dad actually was abusive or just strict, which in those days would be abusive today, but you know. Uh, I mean. As far as I read, he was only strict, but yeah, yeah. So say, let's face it, that meant physical abuse back in those days. Yeah. Also, funny side note, Friedrich Hamann Sr. was also considered to be a womanizer. Ah. I think the whole family sounds like a big mess. Yeah. So in school, Fritz was said to be a spoiled and rather weak child and a daydreamer. His performance was average. After finishing school, Fritz Hamann became a locksmith and very soon later attended military school to become a non-commissioned officer. And military life suited him well and the once very scrawny child developed into a rather strong and physically fit young soldier. That's a little bit like my husband who was a skater before he had to join the army. Wait, wait, wait. What kind of skater? Like skater boy or like roller skate? <laughs> and also, do you have any photos? I, I won't share them. And I'll send you photos of my husband with feathered hair. He looked like Eric Estrada. <laughs> <laughs> no, skater boy, but oh my God, roller skater would have been so much better. Like all the sparkly and glittery. You know, I'm thinking roller disco right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so my husband had this kind of 90s boy band bop. You know what I'm talking about? I do. <laughs> yeah. Also, please, I have to see Paul looking like Eric Estrada. I will send you that photo. But yeah, <laughs> sparkly shorts. Now I'm just imagining your husband like rolling around in sparkly short shorts like a sexy Richard Simmons. But, yeah, I'll send you I'll send you the photos of, uh, of Paul's sweet, sweet, like feathered Eric Estrada. It's pretty sweet. I love it. All right. Sorry. Back to the story. Yes, back to Fritz and his military career. So everything was pretty fine, but then he started to suffer from hallucinations. And they were either caused by a fall or by a sunstroke. And he had to ask for an early discharge. Unemployed and without any real perspective, the 16-year-old returned to Hanover, but he refused to seek employment in his father's cigar factory. Oh, so all of this happened before he was 16. So he's like out of the military and working as a locksmith by the age of 16. We're Germans, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you guys really have your shit together. <laughs> no, but it was only military school. You know, you got to start um, early. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And so, all right. That makes more sense. <laughs> all right. So our unemployed Fritz Hamann, how did he spend his days, you might ask? Well... Now comes the not-so-nice part. He started an affair with a local woman, but he also started to sexually abuse children in his neighborhood. For that, he would lure them into abandoned cellars. Oh, no. And sadly, the police were not really interested in investigating these crimes. But he was labeled incurably mentally deranged and he was sent off to a sanatorium. But Fritz Hamann fled the sanatorium several times and finally even made it to Switzerland with the help of his mother. After 60 
18 month, he returned to Hanover in 1899 when he was 20 years old. He met a girl, got engaged for a while, but I can tell you now the engagement won't last, luckily for the girl. And also, don't you find it weird that after 16 months in Switzerland, he just returns like nothing happened? And like, hey, like, hey, <laughs> <laughs> no, that is weird, though. He's just gone for 16 months and then yeah and And did they get engaged when he was in the asylum or like no afterwards okay In 1900, he once more joined the military, which would later describe the happiest time of his life. I'm surprised they took him back if he was, you know, discharged before because of all the hallucinations. Again, I can only say different times, I guess. Anyway, he was well liked by his superiors and lauded as an excellent marksman, but he kept suffering from hallucinations and blackouts. Yeah. All right. Listen, I know this might be a really controversial uh, opinion and I'm going to talk about guns, but I'm going to go ahead and say that I think hallucinations and firearms are a decidedly bad mix. (laughs) So bad. Yeah, it's not good. And the military doctors thought the same and they soon found a reason for his symptoms, disorganized schizophrenia, schizophrenia. Yeah, disorganized schizophrenia. Yeah, that's that's a really tough one. There are a bunch of subtypes of schizophrenia, and that one especially could be can make it really, really hard to function if you weren't on meds. And of course, he wouldn't have had any meds available at the time. Mm-hmm. But people with disorganized schizophrenia are, you know, really flat affect. They'll they'll struggle to complete like really basic tasks like brushing your teeth or you know, making a cup of tea. Sometimes they'll make up words or they'll just start. um, I remember in college, we watched a case, you know, studying this topic, but there was this one patient who would just rhyme constantly, Mm -hmm. rhyme in your general direction, or it's tough. They have like very little impulse control. And that that's a really, that's a tough one. Because of that, he once more was discharged and he returned to Hanover in 1902 to his father and his fiancée. What he did next is rather bizarre because he sued his father for alimony. Alimony? Yes. I don't know. In German, it's it's Unterhalt. Is it a different word in, in English? I know that alimony is for when you have to pay your ex-spouse. Yeah. He sued for support for, for like an adult child. Yes. Yeah, no, that's that's not a thing here. Like once you're an adult, you can't sue your parents to support you financially. That's <laughs> pathetic. Yeah, that doesn't... I actually think it's it's not a thing here neither. But he did. He tried. <laughs> oh, he tried. Okay. I don't know. I mean, I guess because maybe he had the cigar factory and the father had money that maybe he sued him because of that. Right. It's weird. Yeah, it would be one thing if he was, you know, because of the schizophrenia, if he was de- determined to be, you know, disabled and needed mm-hmm. uh, his parents to support him as a dependent but it doesn't sound like that's what was happening here it sounds like he just wanted money from his family exactly yeah 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 oh however he sued him and they were fighting and in the end after a lot of fighting verbally and physically fighting friedrich Hamann senior did lend his son fritz money to open his own fishmonger's shop soon later he accused his fiance of cheating on him with either a student or a hairdresser i heard both i don't know which one is true the girl she was pregnant at the time with his child she just about had it with him luckily for her the shop was registered in her name and she told him to get lost 
oh, I'm really glad for her that the shop was in her name. I mean, this guy really already sounds like a pretty awful human being, Mm -hmm. uh, aside from the mental illness component. So I'm just glad for her that his, you know, this engagement didn't end up working out. Oh, I absolutely agree. And it will still get so much worse. (laughs) Doesn't it always? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So after his failed fish business, he mostly resorted to petty crime like embezzlement, burglary, theft, dealing in stolen goods and the likes. This led to 17 convictions and because of this Fritz Hamann spent the years of World War One in and out of prison. Damn, so he literally dodged a bullet. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but at the same time he was also working as a police informant which is interesting, I think. During his times in prison, he would mostly rent out his room to other criminals. Often that would lead to excessive drinking, fist fights, knife attacks, and something like this. And I think it's obvious to say that his landlady was not very happy about that. Mm. Like one time he came back from yet another prison stay and he found his room completely empty because his lodgers had stolen everything they could. Oh, no. Yeah, my old roommate from college, Susie and I, we sublet our apartment one summer and we came back and you have never in your life seen such an infestation of fleas. The fleas. I wrote a song about it. It was such a situation. Eventually, like the bug guy was like, listen, I don't know what to tell you. Maybe you just need to like buy some skin so soft. And we were like, are you fucking kidding me? You want us to buy skin so soft? Like That's your solution. So we bought like five bug bombs where one would have fit for the entire apartment. And we bombed the hell out of it. We went down to her parents' place in Ormond Beach for the weekend. And just, yeah, it was, oh, please. But I'm surprised his landlady didn't kick him out uh, yeah i'm surprised too yeah however i don't know the the whole story is just like the whole time i was researching i was like you know face palming and saying like really really yeah <laughs> true <laughs> So in those years, whenever he wasn't in prison, he also started to hang out in older, well, seedy places in his area. You know, like in the city, that's mostly the waiting halls of the main train station. Is it like this in, in the States too? Yeah. And there he started to befriend young male runaways and orphans. And he, you know, offered them a hot meal and a bed for one or two nights in exchange for sexual activities. Ugh, creep. Listen, mm. You know, no matter how bad my day gets, I'm very grateful I've never had to exchange sexual favors for food. No judgment if you have. I'm not joking. This isn't a joke. I'm I'm literally just really grateful I've never mm. been in that situation. But uh, these stories are really, really good for, about reminding us to be grateful, aren't they? So, yeah, this guy's a monster. Yeah, what a peach, right? Yeah. And also he did manage to obtain a sexually transmitted disease. And I'm pretty sure he kept spreading that one, too. Uh, herpes is forever, friends. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. So World War One is over and done with, and we are now in the year 1919. 40-year-old Fritz Hamann, who now earns money selling meat and old clothes. Oh, wait, wait, sorry. On behalf of our listeners who remember your Carl Dunk episode, all of a sudden the phrase, he sells meat and clothes, is a much more chilling <laughs> statement. I'm not a fan of that combination, and I bet I'm not alone. You want to sell live bait and pie? No problem. That's great. But meat and secondhand clothes can fuck right off. All right. Sorry. I so agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. That combination is not good at all. No, stay away. (laughs) Okay. So, oh, Fritz also meets a man called Hans Kranz, who is 20 years (laughs) young. 
I'm sorry, it's the German names again. <laughs> he sounds like he sounds like a boy who's lost in the wood and following gumdrops. No, he sounds, sounds like um like he would be living with Donald Duck and and all the other Hans Mickey Mouse. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Okay, so Hans Granz. <laughs> Yeah, he's 20 years younger than Harman. He's also a crook and they become lovers and criminal accomplices. Even though, and it's interesting, Hans himself stated all the time that he's not homosexual. He's a heterosexual. Okay. Their relationship is very wild, as you can imagine. Harman is so smitten with the young man. Like Hans knows how to manipulate and play the older man, and he even often mocks him. They have heated arguments, followed by breakups, followed by reuniting again. Uh, sounds like they could have used our advice on how to spot a toxic relationship from our last episode. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think we can safely say Hans was bisexual after he met Harman, unless... Do you think he was just using uh, Fritz? Yeah, he probably was just using him, yes. And I think those two are a lost cause because this crazy on-again, off-again relationship lasts until... Until... 1924. Okay. So on 17 May 1924, two children, they were playing near the Leine River. The Leine, that's the river that runs through Hanover. And they discovered a human skull. Determined to be that of a young male aged between 18 and 20, and the skull was bearing evidence of knife wounds. The police were skeptical as to whether a murder had been committed or whether the skull had either been discarded in this location by grave robbers or placed there in a you know, tasteless prank by medical students. Uh, apparently, these all were still things like grave robbery was still going on. and Yeah. People were just placing skulls wherever for fun. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> what a great time. <laughs> yeah, we really missed all the best parts of history. <laughs> Sorry. So also the police, they theorized that the skull may have been discarded in the river at Eilfeld, which had recently experienced an outbreak of typhoid. So two weeks later, on 29th of May, a second skull was found behind a mill race. And if you don't know what a mill race is, that's, um, you know, the water that turns the mill wheel. Okay, I I didn't know that word, yeah. Is there another word for it in English? Because it's Mühlkanal in German. Mm, You know what? If there is, and there there probably is, I don't know it. Like a specific word for the water underneath a water wheel on a mill? (laughs) You know, in German we have very specific words. I was just going to say, that's such a German (laughs) thing, right? That there's a word very specifically for the water under the water wheel that turns the mill. Like that's, I love, I'm really, yeah. The German language is great. Uh, there was apparently a mill located close to the scene of the earlier discovery. Uh, also, this skull was identified as having been that of a young male, also aged between 18 and 20. Shortly thereafter, two boys playing in a field close to the village of Dören, that's just outside of Hanover, discovered a sack containing numerous human bones. Oh no, a sack of bones. There's no natural explanation for a sack of human bones, is there? Like, typhoid didn't cause that. (laughs) I guess not. But hey guys, um, let us know if you can think of a happy explanation for a bag of human bones in a field. (laughs) No, let us know. Join our Facebook group and tell us. (laughs) Definitely. 
Okay, we continue because two more skulls would be found on 13th of June, mm. one upon the banks of the Leine River and another one located close to another mill in West Hanover. Each of the skulls had been removed from the vertebrae with a sharp instrument. One skull belonged to a male in his late teens, whereas the other belonged to a boy estimated to have been aged between 11 and 13 years old. <sighs> In addition, one of yeah. these skulls also bore evidence of having been sculpted. Well, that's awful. Mm-hmm, it is. In total, they find 300 bone fragments that belong to at least 22 young men or boys in their teenage years. The funny thing is, the police made a statement that they rule out suicides, which, yeah, thanks, Captain Obvious. Yeah, I mean... I mean, yeah, people might have jumped into the river to to die, but, you know, sculpted and cut. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the police said, yeah, it's it's not suicide because it's a huge amount of bodies and also because the bones show signs of being cut and scraped clean with tools. Ugh, that is legitimately horrifying. Aren't we here for that? You know I am. So, the police starts to investigate in the homosexual community, as the victims all appear to be young men who used to frequent the well-known cruising areas in the city. And 30 men are known to the police that could be the possible perpetrators. And Fritz Hamann is one of them. One of the police officers remembers that Hamann was already a suspect in the murder of two young men in 1918. So they start a 24-7 observation. But yeah, they don't find anything very suspicious until two days later, Fritz Hamann got arrested because he started threatening another young man at the main train station. And now the police can finally search Harman's apartment. Oh, nice. Mm -hmm. He used to live in the now very infamous address of Rote Reihe number two in Hannover. He lived in a tiny room in the attic and he just moved there recently. So during the search, the police finds blood on the walls and on his mattress, as well as a lot of bloody clothes. Fritz Harman claims that the blood was from a nosebleed he had <laughs> suffered. Now, I don't know about you, but I had some really bad nosebleeds in my life. And it can explain a bloody mattress. But never, ever did I manage to bleed on the walls. I mean, if you suddenly got very sneezy while suffering from a bloody nose, <laughs> then maybe. But I think we can rule that out as a cause here. By the way, sneezing. Jem gets the most violent sneezes, you know. those. <laughs> if I would sneeze like him, I would throw my back out constantly. <laughs> I know. All the people that listen to this show that have dogs, they know that dog sneezes, violent dog sneezes are so startling for everyone. I would sometimes look at Tucker after those really violent sneezes and they just look at you like, why? Why did that just happen to me? It's like they don't understand. Did he oh. also have this, um, Jam has it like he wants to sneeze, but he can't. And he sounds yeah. like, you know, a, a motorbike that doesn't start. Yes. <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah. Oh, I love dogs. All right, yeah. back to murder. So interrogations. The interrogations went on and often the investigators, they would resort to threats and physical violence to get something out of Fritz Hamann. What did they end up doing? Did they beat him? Yes, but that's only one of the techniques they used. They also chained him in a room and put up shelves with skulls and then they put red paper in the eye sockets and then they put light behind them so you know the skulls had like glowing red eyes. Then they would tell him that his victims are here to get him now. Oh my god. 
And he's got schizophrenia. I mean, Mm -hmm. listen, bonus points for creativity and getting someone dangerous off the streets. But wow, that is... That's that is torture. That is clever, crafty torture. But yeah, man, that is wow. Yep. And all this only came to light in 1961 when one of the investigators wrote his memoirs. So in the end, after all that, Fritz Hamann admits uh, to the murder of seven people. To find the identity of the victims, the police take the clothes they found in Hamann's room and they put them on public exhibit. They also have a short movie made like, you know, those old timey newsreels like with the Lindbergh baby. Yes. Uh, yes, and that one is shown in at least one cinema in Hanover. Oh, wow. Does it still exist? Well, it landed on the index, which is basically a list of forbidden books, movies, or songs. But I really forgot the reason why it landed there. I remember I saw a few seconds of it in, in a documentary once. It's not very exciting, to be honest. They just tried to, you know, get the attention and to maybe find out who he killed. Fritz Hamann himself, he's not of any help. He claims that he can't remember his victims' names. Right. If he really did have disorganized schizophrenia, then that could very well be true. What happens now is that from all over Germany, families of missing boys, they travel to Hanover and they look at the clothes. That way, at least a few of the victims could be identified. Oh, my God, that's so sad. Can you even imagine having to try and identify clothing belonging to your missing child? That's a nightmare. It's absolutely heartbreaking. Yeah. The police also find that Hans Kranz, you remember Hamann's lover, he wears a complete wardrobe uh, of one of the murder victims. Wait, so he had all of one of the victim's clothing or all of his clothing had belonged to a bunch of past victims? Did, did he know where the clothes came from? Okay, wait, let me rephrase that. He was wearing a complete ensemble that belonged to one of the victims, you know, like a complete ah, suit with okay. shirt and vest. and yeah. Did he know it? Well, that's one of the big questions. Well, We'll see if we can find out. By the way, the media follows the sensational case like nothing ever before. The media went crazy. The the reporters came from all over Germany. And when the fact that Hamann had been a police informant is brought up, the outrage is absolutely insane. Because not only was he an informant for the police, he had also found a detective agency with a former police officer. And he had a self-issued ID that gave him a very official and trustworthy appearance. And at the main train station, he was known as Constable Harman. Oh, wow. Okay. So he forms a detective agency. Mm-hmm. Is this just because the war has just completely fucked up all bureaucracy? So he <laughs> has like a police badge and oh God, would kids would trust him? Mm, yeah, I mean, it's not really a police badge, but apparently it looked official enough. Yeah. So what did Fritz say during these interrogations? Um, Did he tell them what he had done with his victims? Yes, let's talk about that. The investigators found that Fritz liked to take home young men from the well-known homosexual cruising spots. They were homeless and often sickly and weak. So he offered them food and shelter, as I said. And I think it comes to no surprise that the boys were happy they have encountered Constable Hamann. And he called them his Puppenjungs, which roughly translates to doll boys or like toy boys, but it's also a very old-timey slang word for male sex workers. Oh. Mm -hmm. Now, what they didn't expect, during sex, Fritz Hamann developed a kind of rage, like a thirst for blood, and he bit into the young boy's Adam's apple while simultaneously strangling them. He would call this love bites, which is sick, really. Yeah. 
So the boys being so weak, they never stood a chance to fight back. And they would either suffocate or they would die from cardiac arrest because mm. of the attack. So after the very exhausting murders, because this is a very exhausting way to, to murder people, let's be realistic. So he yeah. usually fell asleep next to the victims. Oh, God, those poor boys. They just never really had a chance. Mm -hmm. So after waking up again, he would brew himself some strong coffee and he started to dismember the men. For that, he would always cover their faces with a rag. I think um, he said because he didn't want them to look at him. Because yeah. he, like, uh, he thought that, that people still can see and, and hear everything that's going on. So he covered ah. their faces with a rag and then he started to take out their inner organs. He would remove the limbs, then he would cut up the, the bowel in very little pieces and he would flush them down the toilet. And after completely cleaning the bones, he would usually take a hammer and smash the skull into little pieces. Until the very end, he said that the skulls found in the river could not have been from his victims because he always smashed them. Can you imagine all uh, this coming to light and it might not even have been his victims? Wow. Wow. I mean, if that's true, then then you then have to wonder who those other skulls belong to. I think they were his. Yeah, I agree. Maybe he got, you know, like lazy because it's a lot of work. And smash. it's a lot of people. Mm hmm. Yeah. You know, like maybe he started out being really, really meticulous exactly, or maybe yeah. the other way around. Maybe he started Could out be. being less meticulous. And then when uh, the skulls were found, he got yeah. clever. Actually, he more. said that uh, he only left one skull intact and that was his first victims. That was the only one he didn't smash. So, yeah, it could be. So the bones he would throw into the river that passed behind his house very conveniently and he used the flesh of his victims to make sausage and a speak and he used the lard and he sold this to his unknowing customers. Oh, I have never trusted sausage. <laughs> you didn't? I don't. We love sausages too much here. When I was living in Mexico, I would get like horrible food cravings. You know, even for food, I usually was not too keen on. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's normal. You know, you're far away from home and you miss it and you want something that you that reminds you of home. And I missed Frankfurter Würsteln so much. Like, you know, basically Wiener sausage in the US, I guess. Yeah. Mm. But the Mexican hot dog sausages, they don't have the, the sausage casing. But I wanted the real deal. I wanted Frankfurter. And then one day, one of my colleagues, and she was from Germany, she told me that there were some German weeks in some super fancy, super expensive specialty grocery store. And I went there, of course, and I bought the most expensive Frankfurter complete with natural casing of my entire life <laughs> <laughs> no 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 i try to eat i don't like to eat anything in a natural casing i don't know why but it grosses me out really yeah okay not only that but i cut off the ends of a hot dog when i very occasionally eat one because the ends of hot dogs look like a cat's asshole <laughs> they really do next time just look so those get cut off and they go to the dog the dog gets all the cat's assholes <laughs> I used to make sausage with my grandfather, you know, like blood sausage or head cheese or so. No. Nothing got wasted from the from the pig. And I always got the heart. It was delicious. Oh, my God. Okay, Khaleesi. So, <laughs> wow. We're food opposites. That's great. It's good to be food opposites. Then when we travel together, we want different things. Exactly, On a charcuterie yeah. plate, for example. <laughs> so, all right. So let's get back to Fritz and his victims. So do we know, do we know anything about his poor victims? 
We know a little bit. So we know about his first victim. There was a 17-year-old boy named Friedel Rote. And he too, he was a runaway and he disappeared on 27th September 1918. His friends told the police that Friedel was last seen with Fritz Hamann. And when the police went to Hamann's apartment, they found him in kind of a semi-naked state with a 13-year-old boy. He was charged with sexual assault of a minor and once more went to prison for a few months. A few months. Yeah, I wish we could say people charged with rape don't get these light sentences anymore, but sadly, that bullshit is still a problem today. Yeah. So, Hamann, he later stated that when the police found him with the 13-year-old, he had the head of Friedelrote wrapped in newspaper and stowed behind the stove. Oh, no. No. So, hopefully, that 13-year-old boy got away. I mean, probably not unscathed, but, you know, alive. Yeah, he got away because the police took Harman with them. That was lucky. Yeah. Okay, we know the second murder uh, Harman committed occurred in February of 1923. The victim was another 17-year-old. He was a pianist named Fritz Franke. Harman encountered him at the where else main train station in Hanover and he invited him to his residence and he introduced the the young guy to Hans Granz and two female acquaintances uh, one of them was Granz's female lover and according to Granz's lover that evening Granz whispered in her ear hey he's going to be trampled on today Mm-hmm. The following day, both these acquaintances returned to Hamann's apartment, and there they were informed that the young boy, Franke, had traveled to Hamburg. So wait, I'm not sure I understand what you're just saying here. Trampled on? And then, so the women came back the next day and they were told Frank had just like gone on to Hamburg? I mean, nobody knows what he meant by that. It's a quote by, by one of the witnesses. They said that Grant said he's going to be trampled on today. This quote was used during trial to show that Hans Kranz very well knew that Harman killed people. And yes, the women left and they returned the next day and they, I think they asked, where did the young man go? And they were told, yeah, he left and he's gone to Hamburg. But yeah, of course, he was dead. Yeah. So did Hans Kranz know about the murders? <laughs> I'm sorry, the Hans name is Kranz. <laughs> I know it's. <laughs> yeah. Can't make this up, people. <laughs> no, you can't. But did he know? That's a very good question. And the answer is, I don't know. It it looks like it. I mean, Harman said in the interrogations that after this murder, his lover showed up unannounced and he saw the naked Fritz Franke lying on Harman's bed. And according to the murderer, Hans Kranz just looked at the naked body and asked, when should I come back? I don't know. Did he know for sure that the man was dead? I think so. Or maybe he just thought that the guy's sleeping, you know, like very quietly and very still. So still, just <laughs> he's a heavy sleeper. I mean, but maybe you know, seriously though, like maybe he just didn't didn't want to know, right? Like doesn't want to know, doesn't care, doesn't ask. Like yeah. just that's not what he's here for. Maybe yeah. this uh, kind of you know, not my monkeys, not my circus situation. Exactly. And he yeah. also benefited from it because he he got the clothes and they sold stuff, and you know, maybe he's just like uh, whatever. Too many yeah. people in the city anyway. Could be. So in the end, Hans too was arrested and he stood trial with his lover Fritz Hamann as an accomplice in his murders. And honestly, I don't want to get into the details of all the gruesome murders. But let's just say it's it's one sad and devastating story after the other. Because all these boys and the young men, they felt so lucky to encounter Fritz Hamann. He promised them a woman, dry bed, food and jobs. And there are too many to mention individually, but... Now, we can post a link with the name of the known victims in our Facebook group. 
Yeah, we'll definitely post that. Now, if you guys remember what I told you about Karl Denke, he was a loner. Yeah, he didn't talk to anyone. His room was not inviting and friendly. I guess that all of you imagine the room of Fritz Hamann the same way, but that is probably wrong. Because, uh, yes, as I said before, there were a lot of fights going on. But his place was seen to be more like, um, I don't want to say friendly, but more inviting. People would pass by to engage in heavy drinking and homosexual and heterosexual orgies. He often would give out ham, cheese, chocolate and... It looks like, in general, Fritz Hamann was well-liked. I assume that the neighbors might have very well been aware of what was going on in there, but they decided not to investigate further. You know, like Hans Kranz, they benefited from the food he supplied. Yeah, I mean, listen, I'd probably overlook some wild orgies for ham, cheese, and chocolate myself. <laughs> I get it. I get it. But um, there were some rumors. Oh, what kind of rumors? There were rumors about a meat grinder. There were rumors about young men going into the apartment but never coming back out. It was speculated that Hamann had sold them off to the French Legion. Oh. There were rumors about the origin of all the male clothing items, you know, like that. Yeah, so dark rumors then. I definitely yes. see a lot of similarities to Carl Denke, and I don't like it one bit. It's very similar, but yeah. the neighbors, like Denke's neighbors, they didn't seem to care very much. But maybe... You know, maybe the crimes would have been discovered earlier, but as I mentioned before, only shortly before his arrest, he had moved to his apartment in the Rote Reihe number two. And when the police searched the, the former apartment and his new apartment, they found his floor under the floorboards to be drenched with blood. Oh no, so they pulled up the floor looking for evidence and they just found tons of blood? Yeah, pretty much. Ugh. Fritz Hamann did not consider himself guilty as his doll boys drove him to do it, you know, seducing him, <sighs> arousing him, sparking his raging sexual needs. And he also said, well, they are just, you know, Puppenjungs. Where's the big deal? And he also said, and I quote, if Kranz would have loved me, he could have saved me. Believe me, I'm sane. I just have my moments. There is no joy in killing men. I want to be beheaded. That only takes a minute and then it's all over. End quote. Yeah, I mean, he sounds sane. I love that he's also using the old, uh, they made me murder them excuse. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, yeah, he sounds completely sane. So, did he get beheaded? Well, let's talk <laughs> about the trial first. It took place from 4th of December 1924 to 19th of December 1924. So, on a little bit more than 14 consecutive days. He was accused of killing 27 people between the years 1918 and 1924. Wow. Of course, the real number of victims is speculated to be much, much higher. Hamann himself once stated that he might have killed between 50 and 70 men. Wow. You know, the problem was that during those years of national poverty and unstable political systems, a lot of people just vanished. You know, they lost their families, they lost their homes and they just up and left and nobody knew where they went. Now, I'm not saying that all of those people were murdered or victims of crimes, but it was just impossible to know how many young men fell victim to Fritz Hamann. 27 was the number of victims the police could connect to him without any doubt. Those 27 men, or boys even, were all between the ages of 10 and 22. That's just incredibly sad. Yeah, it really is. A psychiatric evaluation by Ernst Schulze, Dr. Professor Ernst Schulze, a German psychiatrist, showed that Hamann was not insane. 
And while Harman stated that none of his murders were premeditated and occurred all in a sexual rage or ecstasy, as he called it, the investigation could prove that there were indeed murders that he had planned days or even weeks in advance. Ernst Schulze came to the conclusion about Harmang being sane through interviews he led with the accused during six whole weeks. And if you're interested, there is a German movie with the name Der Todmacher from 1995. Oh, what does that translate to? Well, it roughly translates to The Deathmaker, and I looked it up, <laughs> and it seems to be the English title of the movie. The late German actor Götz Georg plays the murderer Harmang. It's really good. He's really good in that movie. The movie is based almost entirely on the transcripts of those six weeks um, that Ernst Schulze interviewed Fritz Hamann. And it is set in the interrogation room only, you know, like a chamber drama. It's, mm-hmm. I love those. I remember that I saw that movie when it came out and I was 16 and I was deeply haunted by it. We will yeah. post a link to IMDb and then you guys can try to find this very obscure foreign movie. Oh God, you're such a cinephile. All right. <laughs> challenge accepted. So back to the trial. As I said, it lasted 14 days and in total they called 190 witnesses. The witnesses included police officers, experts and also friends and acquaintances of Hamann and Kranz, but also the parents of those victims that could be identified. And in the end, Fritz Hamann was found guilty of 24 out of the 27 murders and he was indeed sentenced to death by beheading. He said, quote, I accept the verdict fully and freely. I shall go to the decapitating block joyfully and happily, end quote. Is there any other way to go to the decapitating block, though? I mean, really, <laughs> you have to go joyfully and happily, don't you? I, I guess. Oh, God, yeah. Again, he sounds sane. So what about our friend Hans Granz? <laughs> So Hans Kranz, he was found guilty of incitement to murder and sentenced to death by beheading in relation to one of the murders and an additional sentence of 12 years imprisonment for another murder. So that's, Uh, sorry, but like, so we're going to behead you and also you get 12 years. So it was like, was it 12 years first, just so those last 12 years would really suck, then they'll cut your head off? I guess. That's fair. All right. Which is weird because uh, nowadays our uh, justice system doesn't work like that. We don't add up. Like, I think in the States you add up, like, you can have, like, 120 years in prison or something like that. Yes. Yeah. We don't have it here at all. So when Kranz heard the verdict, he collapsed. And here comes the thing. Hans Kranz might be the only person in the world whose life was saved by Fritz Hamann. Oh, really? What happened? How? When Harman left the court prison, he threw a handwritten note out of the moving car, out of the window of the car. And the note was found and it stated that he was the sole culprit. This was, of course, not the only reason, but the death sentence for Hans Kranz was later overturned. He did have to spend the 12 years in prison, but those 12 years turned into 22 years in the end. Oh, why? Because of misconduct? No. In 1933, Hitler and his party came to power and they didn't think too much of people with a criminal record. So Hans Kranz stayed in prison until 1936 and then he was transferred to a concentration camp. He went through several concentration camps and in the end he was in Bergen-Belsen. I don't know if your listeners know that that's the camp where Anne Frank died. Yeah. So after the British freed Bergen-Belsen, Hans got transferred yet to another prison. Uh, he had to stay there another year, and then he was finally released. Until the 1960s, he tried to get reparations for his time in the concentration camps, which never happened, and he died in 1975. Yeah, I'm sorry, but I think he'd be at the very bottom of my reparations yeah. from the Holocaust list. God, what an asshole. But I'm 
I'm a little bit divided on this because like, yeah, he's an absolute asshole. But then again, did he even really know anything about the murders? We just, you know, we don't have 100% proof. Oh, I know, but it seems so unlikely he didn't know. I I mean, if he was sentenced to death, they must have proven that he was at least involved enough in one of the murders, right? So, However, Fritz Hamann's execution took place on 15th of April 1925 at 6am. He was beheaded by a guillotine, and the night before his execution, he spent with a very expensive cigar and Brazilian coffee. Did Members his dad of- send him? Sorry. <laughs> Did his dad send him the cigar? <laughs> I was thinking the same, but I think he really liked cigars because he he knew a lot about cigars from his family's business. Yeah. He was an aficionado. During his execution, members of the press uh, were not allowed to attend. But according to witness reports, Harman, he looked very pale, very nervous, but he managed to maintain, you know, a calm walk up the block. His last words were, I quote, I am guilty, gentlemen, but hard though as it might be, I want to die as a man. I repent, but I do not fear death, end quote. After the execution, slices of his brain were examined and traces of meningitis were found. Hamann's head was preserved in formaldehyde and stayed in the possession of the Göttingen Medical School until 2014, when the head finally was cremated. Wow. I mean, my little sister almost died of meningitis when she was five, but as far as I know, she hasn't dismembered anyone. Yet. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. <laughs> no, I'm sorry, any sister. I'm sure you nah, she loves us. She's a fan. <laughs> so the murders committed by Hamann steered so much discussion in Germany regarding, you know, methods used in police investigations, treatment of mentally ill offenders, and the validity of the death penalty. However, the most heated topic of the discussion in relation to the murders committed by Fritz Hamann were issues relating to subject of homosexuality, which was back then, remember, illegal and punishable by imprisonment in Germany. So the discovery of the murders uh, steered a wave of homophobia throughout Germany. And one historian even noted, quote, it split the gay rights movement irreparably, fed every prejudice against homosexuality, and provided new fodder for conservative adversaries of legal sex reform, end quote. Ugh, that's awful. It's awful. And I'm sure it was the same here. It just, you know, it just really goes to show how very, very dangerous ignorance can be, doesn't it? Mm. I think it's still illegal in what? It's like over 70 countries. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, you, it's still illegal to be gay. It's like they'll let rapists and child molesters out early for good behavior. Or, you know, lately here, it seems like you can rape a girl. And if you're from a good family, you won't go to jail. But lawful, kind, good, decent, contributing people are locked up every day just because they love someone. It's unbearable. You know, what's so shocking to me, like for my grandparents' generation, homosexuality still was almost the same as child molester. Oh, yeah. Those two words were interchangeably. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's still a really common belief in this country today. Like, it fills me with so much rage because the vast majority of people who sexually abuse children are heterosexual. They're straight. Yeah. So, yeah, we're in agreement on that. I have to say one last thing about Fritz Hamann, though. He probably was not a cannibal. He was uh, maybe a vampire, he was a werewolf, he for sure was a butcher, but he was not a cannibal. Because during my research, I found zero evidence that suggested that he indeed did eat the meat himself. I think he just was this kind of person, you know, who makes money out of literally everything. 
so he made other people unknowing cannibals. He didn't yep. eat his own victims, but made sausage from them and sold them to people in town. I mean, they had a food shortage after all. Oh, no. Oh, man. Well, now I have another reason to avoid street food. So, wow. That was incredibly disturbing. (laughs) So many young boys and men. It's just, oh, man, that was really sad. So, please, tell me something good. Okay, I tell you something good. Whenever I... I'm done with all the the bad stories and the horrible stories and the murder and the crime and cannibals. There is a TV show that I used to watch with my mom and I always go back to it when I'm, you know, in for something lighthearted and and something that's always, it always turns out good in the end. And it also plays during the depression, which is comparable to the hyperinflation. And that show is called, you know it, The Waltons. (laughs) The Waltons. You know, it's it's just... um, it's so nice, you know? It's so easy. I've really never really watched it. Okay. I know. I know. I've seen I've seen a handful of episodes with my parents, but no, I, I should go back and watch watch it. I, I will go back and watch it from the beginning. I, I have the I have the whole D V D box. Um, I know. You need my, to bring my, it when yeah, I, I'm going to bring it. And on my yeah. birthdays nowadays, you know, be, years ago, I was like super party girl and I would be drinking the whole night away, smoking and dancing. But nowadays I love to put on the Waltons, lie in bed and eat pizza for my birthday. Yeah, no, and that's it's perfect. just perfect. Yeah. yeah, that's the difference between your 20s and your 40s right there. Exactly. <laughs> and if there's any doubt in your mind, depression Waltons are better than World War Waltons. Really? All yes. right. I didn't know this was a controversy of Walton. <laughs> um, all right. I, I trust so, you. What yeah. is your something good? Oh, so this has actually been a really terrible week for me. And my something good this week is weed and Botox. <laughs> <laughs> so hear me out. <laughs> so it's, yeah, it's been a really bad week this week. And that is, it's not unusual. I've been dealing with chronic illness for a long time, but you guys, we had really, really good tickets to go and see the Rolling Stones and I couldn't go. I missed the Rolling Stones. So yeah. So once a month I'm in the hospital for an infusion. That's how I actually started to get into podcasts. And I started getting chronic migraines around the same time that I started these infusions. They say there's no link, but who knows? Regardless, Botox has been an enormous help for migraines. For I was getting over 15 migraine days a month. And when I get migraines, I lose my vision. So it's like, it's really problematic. But I know these Botox are working because my next round of injections, you get them every three months and if they're in a few weeks and I'm starting to get breakthrough migraines. And so when that happens, weed gets me through. It has, I can't even tell you what an enormous game changer it's been. Mm-hmm. If you suffer from migraines and you are in a legal or medically legal state or country, I am telling you, it is such a game changer. I used to think people who intentionally injected themselves with botulism were nuts. And now I'm just counting the days until I can get like 30 shots in my face, jaw, skull, neck and shoulders. Sweet, sweet Botox. And it's uh, it's weird because with the Botox, <laughs> this, is, this is the right place to tell this. Um, when they inject the Botox in your head, like in your skull, you hear this really weird crunching noise and I just don't know what it comes from is it just somebody probably knows join the Facebook group and tell me why do you hear that crunching noise when they give you Botox in your head and as a side effect I now have the forehead of like a 34 year old 
yeah, please come say hi. Join the Facebook group and check us out on Instagram. And uh, you can send us an email at freshhellpodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And uh, as always, if you are going through hell, keep going. Tschüss. Bye, guys. And please rate, review. Yeah, rate, review, subscribe. <laughs>